Welcome to the end. Sin began with Lucifer in heaven. The Bible describes it this way. In Isaiah chapter 14 and verse 12, How are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How are you cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations? For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also on the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Satan wanted to sit on God's throne. And wherever you have a throne, you have this indication of a government. Here you have Satan who wants to overtake the government of God. We have to ask ourselves the question, what was the central issue right at the very beginning of this controversy between God and Satan? And we find that it comes down to God's government. Wherever you have a government, the existence of government itself is defined by the existence of law. What was it about God's law that Satan wanted to change? If we go over to Ezekiel, the other passage in the Bible that is very famous for describing the origins of evil in Ezekiel chapter 28. And we go to verse 15. The Bible says, You were perfect in your ways. From the day that you were created until sin was found in you. Here we find that the issue with Satan was that when he rebelled against God, he sinned. But what is sin? What was it that he had done wrong way back then? Well, if we go over to 1 John, once again, we're going to have a bit of a Bible study here this morning. I hope you are able to follow along with your Bibles at home or wherever you are at this time. 1 John, that's the first letter of John, we find a definition for what sin is. The definition for sin. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 4, the Bible says, Whoever commits sin transgresses the law, for sin is the transgressing of the law. And so here we have, once again, this issue of God's law coming up again. You see, whenever you have a situation where one government wants to overtake another government, the reason that they want to do that is because they want to change the law. Why did Satan want to overcome the government of God? Because he wanted to change the law of God. In doing so, he sinned by breaking the law of God. The Bible says that sin is the breaking of God's law. But we have to stop and ask ourselves at this point, what law is the Bible talking about right here? What is the law that defines what sin is? What is the law that Satan broke in heaven? You see very clearly, the Bible says where there is no law, there is no sin. It would have been impossible for Satan to have sinned, to have broken anything if there was no law. Which law is it that defines what sin is? We find that answer in Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7, and we're going to look in verse 7. Romans 7 and verse 7, the Bible says this. Paul says, What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. No, I would not have known sin or known what sin was except by the law. For I would not have known what lust was except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. And when Paul here finds a law or defines a law for, it that, for us that defines what sin is, he references 
the Ten Commandments. You see, it is the Ten Commandments that define the existence of sin, that defines what sin is. And so we find the Ten Commandments, as simple as they are, are the great constitution for the government of God. Eternal and always in force, we find the Ten Commandments there. It continues on in verse 12, it says, Wherefore the law, speaking here in context, the Ten Commandments is holy and the commandment holy and just and good. And so friends, we find that at the very beginning, the issue between God and Satan was all about the Ten Commandments. Satan hated the Ten Commandments and Satan said, this is restrictive. We need to get rid of God's law. From the very beginning, Satan has been trying to get rid of God's law. But what we're going to find as we go through today's Bible study, that God's law is a law of love. It is a transcript of his character. It's a message for us describing to us the kind of kingdom that he rules over. Now, we have to ask ourselves, what is the purpose of God's law? Well, the Bible says the purpose of God's law here is to define the existence of sin. And the book of James tells us a little bit more about it. We're going to go over now to the book of James. You see, some people, whenever I mention the Ten Commandments, they're like, oh, you're saying that the law of God saves us. No, that's not what I'm saying. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that the law of God is there to define what sin is and to show us what it is. In James chapter 2 and verse 8, the Bible says, if you fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. Here the Bible speaks about the royal law and the Bible goes on to tell us exactly what that royal law is. Loving your neighbor as yourself. Let's notice it in context. Verse 9, if you respect persons or favor one person over another, you commit sin and are convinced of the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet offends in one point, he's guilty of all. The Bible says the wages of sin, the wages of breaking the law of God is death. It doesn't say that you have to break all ten only need to break one, and the wages of sin, breaking God's law, is still death. Uh, verse 11, which law is this? For he that said, do not commit adultery, said also do not kill. Now, if you commit no adultery, but you kill, you have become a transgressor of the law. Well, where does the Bible say, thou shalt not commit adultery, or thou shalt not kill? We know that. That's the Ten Commandments. That's what the Bible is speaking about right here. Verse 12, So speak and so do as those that shall be judged by the law of liberty. I love that right there. You see, God's law, God's eternal constitution, God's Ten Commandments are described in the Bible as His royal law, His law of love and His law of liberty. But let's see what else James has to say about the law of God, particularly in reference to the purpose of God's law. Why did God give it? Did God give a law so that he could save us? No, that's not the purpose of God's law. Let's know what it says in James chapter 1 now. It says, uh, verse 23, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man looking at his face in a mirror. I've got a little bit of a mirror right here. Here is a mirror and I can look at my face in the mirror. Now, it continues on from there. 
If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a person who looks at his natural face in a mirror. And he looks at himself, yeah, goes his way and straight, straight away forgets what manner of man he is. But whoever looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, he being not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. The Bible describes God's law as being like a mirror. You see, I can look into this mirror right now and it can tell me things. In fact, this mirror can tell me all about, you know, the imperfections that there are on my face. And if I had grease or mud or dirt on my face, the mirror would tell me that my face was dirty and that I needed to clean my face. Now, here's what the mirror can't do. The mirror can't make my face clean. Let's say that I've got grease or mud or dirt on my face. And, you know, I tend to have that happen on occasions. I like to work on cars or go forward driving in the bush. And sometimes I get grease or mud or dirt on my face. Now, if I was to take the mirror at that particular point, look at it, and the mirror says, okay, your face needs cleaning. And like, okay, my face needs cleaning. And I was then to use the mirror and rub it all over my face. Is the mirror going to make my face clean? Clearly not. And God's law is not going to make you clean from sin either. You see, the purpose of God's law is not to make you clean from sin. The purpose of God's law is to reveal the fact that you are a sinner. That's all that God's law can do. Nothing else. It can't make you clean. If I want to be clean from mud, grease and dirt, I need to be washed in water. And if I'm going to be clean from breaking the law of God, when the, when the law says you're a sinner in need of a saviour, I need to go to Jesus Christ. I need to experience his free gift of grace in my life. And I need to allow him to wash me through his Holy Spirit and to make me clean through his grace. That's the only way that we can be made clean. But if I did not have the law to tell me I was a sinner in the first place, there would be nothing to tell me that I was a sinner in need of grace. That is the purpose of God's law. You see, God's law cannot save us. It teaches us that we are a sinner. If we go over to the book of Galatians. Galatians. And let's see what Paul says about the law over here. Galatians chapter 3. And in verse 24, the Bible says, Wherefore, the law was our school teacher to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. I want you to think about that for a moment. What does a school teacher do? A school teacher teaches you those things that you need to know. What is Paul saying that the law does right here? Paul is saying that the law is our school teacher that teaches us that we are a sinner and that justification can be found in Jesus Christ. In fact, Paul goes to great lengths to explain that no one is ever saved by the law. Sometimes I come across people and they say, oh, you know, we're, we're under the, the period of grace right now. You know, whenever you preach about the Ten Commandments, you're taking us back to the period of the law. You know, there's kind of this, this subtle implication there that somehow people in the Old Testament 
were saved in a different way from people in the New Testament. That people in the Old Testament had to keep the law of God. But now we're in the New Testament, we have grace so that we don't have to keep the law of God. It's it's kind of a weird question because like, okay, what exactly is it that you don't like about the law of God? You know, which one of those commandments do you have a problem with? I read the Ten Commandments and I like all of the Ten Commandments. Why would anybody want to get rid of the law of God? You know, Satan has been fighting against this law from the very beginning. And somewhere along the line, he has enlisted Christians as his greatest ally in this war against the law of God. Well, Paul explains it to us in the simplest possible language right here. doesn't matter whether you lived in the Old Testament, the New Testament, or anywhere else, the law was never going to save you. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 11, the Bible says, But that no man, no human being on the planet, is justified by the law is obvious. He says no one ever has been, ever will be justified by the law. No one's going to be saved under law. Only people who are ever saved are saved under grace. He says this is obvious. Why? Because he says, the Bible says, the just shall live by faith. He's quoting there from the Old Testament when he says, the just shall live by faith. So we need to continue on here as we look at this uh, concept. Can the law save us? No, the law can't save us. That's not the purpose of the law of God. Now, of course, there are those who would then say, yeah, but you know what? Jesus gave us a new law. And if Jesus gave us a new law, shouldn't we be keeping the old law and not keeping, shouldn't we be keeping the new law and not the old law? Well, let's look at the new law for a moment. For those who are asking that question in their minds, I'm glad you've asked. Let's turn our Bibles to Matthew chapter 22. And let's read where Jesus gave us the new law. Verse 37. Jesus said unto him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so Jesus gives us this new law. And I have people who come to me and they're like, once again, they're like, oh, you know, the Ten Commandments have been done away with. We don't need to keep those Ten Commandments anymore. What, what problem do you have with it? Which, which, which one do you have a problem with it? You know, once again, I have this question. But anyway, be this We don't need to te- keep the Ten Commandments anymore. Okay, so the implication is that you would like to steal or lie or cheat or whatever it might be. I don't know. But anyway, they say the Bible just says, you know, love God and love each other. That's all it is in the New Testament. You see, they forgot to read the next verse. Because in the next verse, Jesus says this. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. The whole lot of the Ten Commandments is included right here. In fact, when Jesus gives these two laws at this particular point, there's nothing new about it. He's quoting from the Old Testament. You find those two laws in Deuteronomy and Leviticus in the Old Testament, in the writings of Moses. And in the Old Testament, love to God and love to your neighbor were a summary of the Ten Commandments. In the New Testament, love to God and love to your neighbor are a summary of the Ten Commandments. Nothing has actually changed whatsoever at all. Okay, so here we're introduced to this new new commandment and the Bible describes it as love to God, love to your neighbor. In other words, God's law is all about love. And if you think about it, the first four commandments, they're all about loving God. 
the last six commandments are all about loving each other. This is why Paul summarized it this way in Romans chapter 13 and verse 10. Romans chapter 13 and verse 10. Let's go over there where the Bible says this, Love works no ill toward his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. In other words, if you love God, you will keep God's law. If you love your neighbor, you will keep God's law as well. But we still haven't really answered that question. What does it mean to be under the law or under grace? You see, the Bible does speak about those who are under the law. And the Bible does speak about the need for coming out from under the law and coming under grace. And at this particular point, a lot of people make the assumption, and it is purely assumption with no biblical basis at all, that being under the law simply means to be under the requirement of keeping the law. And so therefore they want to come out from being under the law. So now you are no longer under the requirement from keeping the law. And so what does that mean? Now you're free to sin once again. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Let's find out what does the Bible say about being under the law. Romans chapter 6, we're going to read verse 14 and 15 and remember the definition that Paul has given to us in chapter 7. The law is the law, the God's law is the law that defines what sin is. Romans 6 verse 14. For sin, breaking God's law, shall not have dominion over you for you're not under the law but under grace. Okay, so when you are not under the law, you are under grace, that means that, obviously, you're not breaking the law. You're not guilty of breaking the law. What then? Shall we sin? In other words, shall we break the law a whole lot more because we are not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. So when Paul raises this issue of being under the law versus being under grace, he goes at lengths and at pains to explain that this is not coming out from under the necessity of keeping the law so that we can now break it? No, not at all. So what actually is he talking about? Well, in Romans chapter 3, he helps us to understand it even more clearly. In verse 19, he says, We know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law. So there's the first thing we notice. When the law is speaking, the law is speaking to those who are under it. All right, who's that? that every mouth may be stopped and all of the world become guilty before God. Okay, so the law speaks to everybody because everybody is under the law. What does that mean? Verse 23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Paul says this, The law speaks to those who are under the law. The law speaks to everyone because everyone has sinned. Therefore, to be under the law means that you have sinned. Well, that's kind of all of us, isn't it? How do we come out from being under the law and then being under grace? Let me share a very simple story with you to illustrate how this takes place. When I was a younger lad, in my early teens, maybe about, I'm thinking maybe 13 years old. I was home by myself. We lived out in the bush. And I was wandering around the paddocks as I was kind of, that was kind of the thing I did back in the day. And I was, I was wandering 
you know, along the edge of this paddock that was just sort of on the edge of the bush. And as I was wandering along there, big old tiger snake comes out. I'm like, ooh, tiger snake. And being a, an ambitious young kid and uh, doing things in those days, back in the day that were probably the wrong thing to do, I decided this snake needed to end its existence on planet Earth, and so I went hunting for a big stick. Well, the snake decided he wanted his existence to end, and so he went into a big clump of cut grass, curled himself up in there, and hid. Well, a little bit of background to this story. It was a hot day. In fact, the temperature was in the 40s, and there was a wind blowing. And very, very unfortunately for me, in my pocket was a box of matches. And I kind of decided, you know what? The snake needs to come out of there and meet his end. Struck a match and dropped it in. Well, you all know what happened, right? A number of fire brigades turned up after a while. And eventually, by the grace of God and much hard work, they got that fire out. Now, of course, the fireys, they're all volunteers. This is out in the country. And they had been enjoying their afternoon, sitting in front of their air conditioners, drinking probably beverages that we would not recommend, and uh, relaxing, watching the cricket. Suddenly they get a phone call. They need to go and fight a fire. And they came out to our property and they fought that fire. They took about, you know, this much water off the top of our dam in doing so. And by the time they were all finished, they were dripping with sweat. They're covered in soot. They've been working hard and their whole afternoon of relaxation has kind of come to a, an end. And so then they asked the question, well, how did the fire start? Well, by this time, my father had come home. My brother had come home. We're all kind of there. And my dad had no idea how the fire had started because he wasn't there when it started. He's like, well, you better ask the boys. And they've come and they've stood around me. And there's the the chief of the Glen Hewen Fire Brigade and the Judbury Fire Brigade and the Ranelar Fire Brigade. And they're all standing around me. And they're like, how did the fire start? At that particular point, I wished that the ground would open me up and swallow me, but it didn't. And when it didn't, I was like, well, actually, um, trying to flush out a snake. And they were very unimpressed. Well, cut a long story short, they went off by themselves. They had a bit of a conversation together. And then they came back and they said, okay, did you know that it's a thousand dollar fine well these days they'd lock you up and throw the key away but it's a thousand dollar fine for lighting a fire today and i'm like uh no which was probably a really silly and a wrong answer to give and uh, they've uh and i you know i just i just saw all of my pocket money and my wages you know i kind of in my childlike mind was like okay there goes my income for the rest of my life paying this one off they said well Here's what we're going to do. We're going to mark this one down as causes unknown. What they were effectively saying was, we're going to extend to you grace. And I've got to tell you, at that particular point, you have no idea how relieved I suddenly became. I went from being a terrified kid to experiencing the joy of grace. But then they said this, don't go and light 
any more bushfires? Now, I want to ask you the question. Do you think that I was running around as soon as they left and I was lighting up more bushfires so that they would come back again? No way. Being under grace was a really good thing. It was a great experience and I wanted to stay there. You see, being under the law means being under the condemnation of the law. The law speaks to you when you break the law. It's got nothing to say if you're not breaking the law. And the law says to you, you're a sinner, you're in need of grace, and it points you to Jesus Christ who can extend his grace to you. That's the purpose of the law, and that's why Satan hates it so much and wants to get rid of it, because if he can get rid of God's law, then there's nothing to point you to Jesus Christ. And the last person he wants you to be focused on is Jesus Christ. You see, the Bible says that this law is all about love. Why do we keep the law of God? Do we keep the law of God so that we can be saved? No, we don't keep the law of God so that we can be saved. We keep the law of God because we are. Because we've experienced grace. Why did I stop lighting bushfires? Well, the reason I stopped lighting bushfires was because I came under grace and it was a really, really good feeling and I wanted to stay there. John chapter 14 And verse 15, Jesus speaks it so simply right here. In fact, John has a number of things to say on the subject of the law. I'm going to share them with you. I think they're important. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Why do we keep God's commandments? Because we love God for the grace that he has extended to us. If we go over to his first letter, John's first letter, 1 John. Let's go over here. 1 John chapter 2. And the thing I like about John is he speaks in such plain language. Verse 4. He that says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. You can't write it down more plainly than that, can you? In chapter 5, just a little bit over, and verse 3. He says this, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. His commandments are not grievous to us. If you're going to oppose the law of God, once again, my question is, which one don't you like? I like them all. They're all pretty good. Let's go over to the last book that John wrote, the book of Revelation. And once again, you know, I kind of went, you know, about as far into the New Testament as I could possibly go to see if I could find at some point where God's law was done away with. And this is what I found. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 17, speaking about the remnant right at the very end. It says the dragon was angry with the woman. God's church went to make war with the remnant. God's church that remains to the end, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Then in chapter 14 and verse 12, it says, here is the patience of the saints. Here are those that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. And then I went right to the end of the Bible. Does anything change right down at the end in chapter 14 and verse chapter 22 and verse 14? The Bible says, blessed are those that do his commandments that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. You can't get further into the New Testament than that. And God's commandments are upheld right here as his law of love, his law of freedom right to the very end. You see, friends, it reminds me of another story. This one's a parable of a husband and wife. They kind of had a whirlwind romance. Three weeks later, they were married. On the morning of their first day of marriage, they woke up and, you know, the the new wife was looking forward to the honeymoon. And at that particular point, her husband pulled out a list, a numbered list. 
and he hands it to her and he says, this is your responsibilities. This is what you must do. And it listed, you know, how his coffee was to be made in the morning, how his clothes were to be prepared, all the things that she must do. It turned out that that marriage relationship was terrible. And she lived under a considerable burden in an environment of domestic abuse. Sometime later, by the grace of God, he died. She was a little bit more careful selecting her second husband. Second husband was a truly wonderful man and they lived a, a very long life and grew old together, deeply in love with each other. One day, she was in her attic and she was sorting through some dusty papers that she'd found there and she found the original list. And as she found this list, she thought, oh, this is kind of funny, I should read through this. And she read the first thing on the list, and it's like, well, actually, I'll do that. And she read the second thing on the list, and I thought, you know what, I do that too. And as she worked her way down through the list, she suddenly realized she did everything on the list and so much more. What was it that made the difference? The difference was her first husband, there was no love. She was not in love with her first husband. Her second husband, she was in love with her, with her second husband and he was in love with her. The list did not change, but her attitude did. When love comes into the equation, we love God and we love God's law. When love goes out of the equation and we cease to love God, then God's law becomes a restriction and a burden. The Bible says, if you love me, keep my commandments. And my question to you today is very simple. Do you love God enough to keep His commandments? You've been listening to The End. For more information about this program or any of this show's free offers, visit www.theend.digital.